Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. We're sometimes fortnightly, we're sometimes monthly. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? Uh, as discussed, I'm feeling great. Uh, not great. even slightly hungover. Oh, fantastic. Oh, that's good, good to hear. Yeah. So, no, it, it's nice. Uh, winter really hitting, I think. December. Yeah, December's winter. Yeah. December. Yeah. When does yeah. when does winter end? Is it end oh, of February? April or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think in is it isn't autumn, September, October, November, and winter, December, January, February. Yeah. In the sort of each season gets three months, which is obviously not accurate at all. Yeah. Well, that. Okay. It's, so yeah, you're you're, you're deep in winter. Winter. Yeah. <laughs> in the deep in winter. Water like a stone. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, nearly finished work. Nearly, nearly nearly, at the point where I'm breaking up for Christmas, which is really nice. So exciting. How about yeah. you? So good. Yeah, I'm doing very well, thank you. We had loads of snow here, and Ooh. now it's just pouring rain and it's all gone. Oh, right. Like, hey, <laughs> hang on. Was that it? That was that was snowy winter done. Sort of one day. And it was, it was that thing, actually, that I th- it's very rare. I went to bed not expecting snow and i woke up the next day and and the whole world was a winter wonderland very nice you know it's the kind of cinematic cliche that they the person opens their eyes pulls back the curtains and it's snow everywhere it was like that i was i was genuinely stunned that it was that snowy it's like oh my goodness (laughs) i'm just imagining you like bounding down the stairs well exactly pajamas yeah shouting to andrea is school gonna be cancelled today yeah it was a Sunday. It was so, so... I felt very sorry for all school kids. <laughs> yeah. It's gone by Monday. Okay, what are we talking about today, Peter? Um, I should answer that question. Yeah, you've said why don't I ask I you what we talk about yeah. today, Frank? <laughs> so, on a recent Think on Your Feet, on my Think on Your Feet starting through the Innsmouth Conspiracy, I mentioned at the start, ebbing and flowing, no pun intended, interest in Arkham and that idea of maybe falling out of love a bit, a bit. And so we're going to talk about that a bit more. A couple of people picked up on that comment and said they'd like to hear more about that. So I figured let's share some of those thoughts because I had more thoughts to share and I'm glad that people expressed an interest. So before we go any further, a trigger warning. I'm going to talk about some health stuff in this episode that could be triggering for people. So just to warn people up front, I guess we're going to share a bit about our personal lives as well with this. So, yeah, just want to say that so you don't feel like your friendly, cosy Arkham podcast is suddenly ambushed by real-world things. This is quite a real-worldy episode, I suppose. Yeah. You'll put this in the show notes as well, I guess. I'll put trigger warning in the show notes, yeah, content warning. And the other thing I thought, you know how I love to have a couple of caveats to start... We've tried to talk about this sort of topic before, haven't we? The idea of like, what if your interest is waning in the game? Mm. And generally speaking, I think we've been on the very enthusiastic end and people know the podcast is optimistic and positive-minded and looking for the positive. So first caveat is we're not having a moan here or certainly I'm not trying to. I just want to go through some of the things that have impacted my interest in the game And it's probably healthy to look at those things and hopefully it might chime with people. And then the second caveat is maybe it's all of these things that have combined to me losing some of my passion for the game. But it would be a shame if people then think, 
oh, well, that's just specific circumstances that Frank went through. Or similarly, if if some of this chimes with you, Peter, if people would just say, oh, well, it's just because that's what's been going on in Peter's life. Maybe some of the things we mentioned might apply to you or things we don't even mention might have affected your interest in the game. So yeah, just kind of putting that out there as well. Maybe a starting point here is to tell us about Bloodborne, Peter, and your interest in in Bloodborne and whether it stayed consistent. Ah, well, I mean, you do you understand the danger of bringing up Bloodborne at the very start of the episode? This becomes <laughs> yeah, a 40 yeah. minute Bloodborne episode. Well, I thought because you're not feeling 100%, maybe I'll get it in there now. And <laughs> it would be a way of kind of just me lubricating up. the wheels. Yeah, exactly. I'll tell you what, I've got a, I've, there's a can of iron brew in the fridge, which um, I'm thinking about. It's, it's, it's maintaining me, sustaining me. Get it the thought of it is a step. Yeah. Wow. Just wait until I drink it. it open and be yeah, pour it over your head. Yeah. Yeah. Bloodborne, uh, an interesting topic to bring up. Obviously, Lovecraftian, so it is. It is sort of relevant. I just cast my eye, eye over the notes, Frank, and I noticed the last item you put on the list is the Peter problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We'll get to that, Peter. We'll get to that. I'm looking forward to seeing what that is. I've trademarked it as well. Yeah, I, I see. A literal TM in there. Yeah, so the, the, I would say it's one of my favourite games of all time. I talk about it enough. Mm-hmm. But I had been putting off this last bit of it. So, so on PlayStation, you get Platinum Trophy, which is when you've completed all your other trophies. Trophies are like little achievements in the game, if anyone doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And I'd been putting off this last there's there's one trophy that requires you to engage with an awful lot of side content mm. disproportionate to all the rest of them and it's there's quite a number of very difficult challenges in that side content in order to get that trophy mm-hmm. so i'd been putting it off for about 18 months <laughs> despite kind of ostensibly the bump being one of my favorite games there was this challenge in the game i, I was not looking forward to because i thought it was gonna be really difficult and mm. it wasn't it's not engaging with the most engaging stuff in the game either. You've got to go through a lot of kind of semi-randomised chalice dungeons to get through to it. So there was a lot of reasons for me not to do it. And then I decided to pick it up again. So it it was always there, like at the back of my mind. I should should go and tackle it. And Mm. I'd played through the game several other times (laughs) in that period, just leaving Mm. this little bit undone. Then a few weeks ago, I just decided, no, I'm actually going to do this now. And it, it was actually, it wasn't as bad as I thought. It took me about three evenings to get through it. And yeah. then I had everything finished off and I was very proud of myself. Not a topic I predicted for this episode, but the idea of how we build up what a play experience is going to be like in our head versus what it's then like, that really resonates for me about Arkham. There's something about, in recent months, the kind of hurdle of getting it to the table and mm. I'm going to need to do the following things and what are the obstacles for that? And then, like you say, you actually get into it and it's like, oh, I love this game. I I, I remember why I love this game. This is incredible. This is so enjoyable and feel, you know, rejuvenated and refreshed and excited to talk about it again. But the the gulf between what goes on in one's head in anticipation and then what the experience is like yeah. can be pretty big. Yeah, and actually, this I would say this. Apologies, this is like veering off in a tangent, Frank, or stealing no, no, some no. thunder for something you wanted to, please, to discuss. Please um, this ties into something else, which is painting models. Which mm. there's quite a lot of I don't know, like mental health challenges around painting models. 
that I've experienced and got through. Mm-hmm. The first is that it can be, if you want your models to come out perfectly, then it's very hard to get started because you can't assume mm. that they're going to be perfect to, be, to begin with. Yeah. One of the phrases I like is, uh, perfection is the enemy of done. It's two, mm-hmm. two almost identical phrases. Perfection is the enemy of done. Uh, and sorry, perfection is the enemy of good. Mm-hmm. You will never get better if you can't be perfect right off the bat. So you have to yeah. have that space for trying and failing mm-hmm. in order to be able to improve and push yourself and identify areas that you need to get better in. You also, yeah. you can't spend forever painting every single individual lad as well. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's mm-hmm. the perfection is the enemy of done. If you, if you spend too long in each one, you'll never ever get them finished. So you have to have an acceptable standard in your head and appreciate that that might not be the best you can do. Yeah. It's twin goals, isn't it? Mm. Painting them, as in getting them done, and painting them well. Yeah. And it's easy for one to overshadow the other, or for one to get in the way of the other. It's so funny you mention models, because my nephew is just getting into Warhammer and all things models. Mm -hmm. And it's really brought back lots of memories of growing up with my brothers and us all painting miniatures. And I I was the probably the least proficient painter of the three of us, so I, I definitely was. And for me painting was a means to then getting miniatures to the table and playing yeah and i'd get frustrated with both my brothers who'd get really involved in painting one miniature and spending ages on it and that you know the the time we had allotted to paint and play often for them became painting time rather than playing time yeah (laughs) it's frustrating I, i you know do a similar thing actually in arkham like if you want to sit down and build a deck and then play and you sit down to build a deck and you spend ages building a deck and then it's like, oh, now I've, I've found all the cards and I've assembled it and I've found the scenario and I've assembled that and I'm ready to go. It, it can be a bit like, oh, okay, that's, I've kind of run out of time now. Yeah. <laughs> you have to do the deck building separately. But, but, but what's interesting is that in terms of motivation, sometimes setting yourself for a kind of inverted commas session, whether that's mm-hmm. painting, whether it's playing a game or whether it's um, making a deck for Arkham, if you set yourself a, a very, very easy goal... The one I've heard, uh, use an example for painting models, is like, paint the cloak of a guy. Just like, yeah. you know, he's got a red cloak, I just need to put some red on it and then put some shade on it. And that's all I need to do. You find that once you start, you've overcome the hurdle of starting the activity. Mm-hmm. Then you remember mm-hmm. why you enjoy it, <laughs> then you, yeah. you get going. So, so I mean, th- that's how I started back getting to the end of this kind of challenge in, in Bloodborne. So I, I'll just load it up, see what I need to do. And then I got there and was like, I'd actually done a bit more than I remembered. And then I was like, okay, cool. Well, let's just see what's around this next corner. And from that point, then there was no stopping me. I just kind of got to the end. Yeah. And that, so that ties into, and painting models ties in as well to one of the things that shifted for me, which is that I moved house uh, last year. And that meant that my play network changed a lot, the people that I was regularly getting games of Arkham in. But what it also meant was, the space I had to play changed slightly. Like I still have the same table, but rather than that table being in the living room that could have Arkham stuff on it most of the time, it's now our main kitchen table. And that means I don't leave Arkham stuff out all the time because it's in a shared space. And it's a small obstacle in a way, but it means if I want to play Arkham, I have to go sit down, get the stuff onto the table and probably at the end of the session, put it away again. Mm. And the idea of just, well, I'll just put things down and play for a bit, that shifted in my head to, well, I need to sit down and 
play a full scenario. And I know, incidentally, again, this is that fear of if this sounds like I'm moaning, there are people out there who play mainly digitally and they don't face that problem. You know, if they want to play, they boot up a game and they play and then they they stop and it it hasn't had any kind of physical impact. But I would say that recognising that it has a physical impact on where you are is is probably good. Yeah. Because I got into quite a bad headspace of looking at my Arkham stuff and not taking it out Mm. and then feeling not quite resentful, but certainly a little bit frustrated that it's there. It's in my eyeline, but the feeling like the obstacle to actually get it to the table and do something was just that little bit too great, which is weird, isn't it? Like saying it out loud, it feels somewhat absurd, but I guess I went from a place of almost having everything to hand. It's part of why I don't keep my cards in binders, because I find the binder thing of them building decks is another small obstacle to doing it. You have to go and get the cards out. I want the cards more accessible than that. You've moved too, and the reason I said it was linked to painting is you you were mentioning to me you have a space for painting, but then you actually often paint in a different spot. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, this is something uh, I talked to my wife about, and we're both like this. It's not, it's not one or the other that we it's very easy to make plans for how you're going to have your stuff arranged but then it doesn't work mm. with how you actually live your life <laughs> yeah so yeah. yeah looking now looking for a solution which allows me to work more in line with how I like to paint rather than kind of forcing my so 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 you know get my storage solutions working for me rather than me working for them Yes, yeah. I guess that's what I'm saying as well about my Arkham. It's it's there, it's accessible, but somehow it's become a, a weight around my neck rather than an invitation, which is curious. I mean, the, the other thing I suppose that's probably worth us diving into is I suggested to you this idea of like maybe an ebbing interest in Arkham and you didn't say to me, well, I don't feel that way, so what's the point of that discussion? I guess some things have shifted for you as well. And when I rewind the clock, pre-pandemic, our experience of Arkham was we both were part of groups and played pretty regularly, and they were separate groups. And that, I'm sure, fueled some of our conversations then about the game. I would say to you, oh, I've just been out and played the following scenario. This is, you know, this character performed really well, or I really enjoyed X or Y, or this new card is exciting. And I'd be getting the same from you. Mm. And I feel like for both of us, one of the things that shifted is obviously post-pandemic, the frequency of meeting groups seems to have really dropped off. I mean, I think the whole landscape has changed in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Does that chime for you? That I. Y- yes, I think it does. That's and and things. It's. I don't know whether they've they've gone back to how they were. Maybe things have changed. All of my friends have kind of got older in that intervening period and Mm. people have moved away i think living near where you work is less important now than it was previously yeah and also people have got opportunities elsewhere so so the kind of the core gaming group i saw a quote from what's um ed helms character called in the office andy is it andy yeah says something like the, the thing about the good old days no one tells you you're in them when you're in them <laughs> which is like like shockingly profound uh, and and I, I kind of feel like there was that period before uh before the pandemic before we had those kind of all those movement restrictions Just every mm. single week we'll be able to meet to play cards yeah it doesn't yeah. feel like that's something that's ever gonna really 
really going to have a chance to do that again. Um, certainly yeah. not with the, the same kind yeah. of group of friends because we're so scattered around the place. I mean, not even on a, on a grand scale. You know, I had a friend who's moved to Dundee, but mm-hmm. in terms of meeting in the evening to play cards, he might as well be in London or... Yeah, yeah, Australia. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, no, I, 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 I get you. Yeah, I think that's that's an issue. I, I would add to the mix the there's been a change in the distribution method as well, which you're almost certainly going to talk about at some point. But, well, take it away, yeah. Yeah, that, that's been a real big change. Maxine warned us as well. All credit to Maxine. I think <laughs> I've, did, I've, either, yeah. I've either said this to you or I've said this on the podcast. At the time, think, yeah, both, Ma- yeah. Maxine said <laughs> something along the lines of, I'm more worried about how cr- uh, content creators like you are going to cope. Mm-hmm. And I think we mm-hmm. didn't dismiss it, but we were like, oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be a challenge, but you know, thanks for the heads up. Yeah, but it, it's been... A very drastic change. I think more than that, though. But I I don't think it's simply content creators. Yes. Well, content content creators are players as yeah. well. Yeah, <laughs> fundamentally, exactly. Like, exactly. And and yeah. and the content we create. And in fact, like this, this goes back to something on our something someone on our Discord said, which mm-hmm. was as we've got more mature in the podcast. I think we talked about this when we talked mm-hmm. about. That, we did that investigator episode a few weeks ago. I can't remember who we talked about, but we said something <laughs> like we, we said something like our confidence in the kind of content we want to create has grown, mm. come, yes. become more confident in thinking, ah, oh, that's something we want to talk about. But that's yeah. tied to our interest as well. Like the best content mm. we make is on things we're interested in, on subjects we're interested in. It would be interesting to look back and see what topics we talked about then and now, and see what has changed. Yeah, it would be. It would be. Because I don't feel like we've gone into many episodes. I mean, I, I can't think of any at all where we've gone, oh, I don't want to talk about this topic, but we should. There's normally been a germ of something, but yes. sometimes we've then set off down a topic and realised, oh, okay, actually there's not so much to say here and we're a bit stuck mm. and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, that I guess the point I want to make about Maxine's warning is the question, which I feel like I know the answer to, but the question is, do content creators fuel engagement in the game or are content creators a reaction to players already being engaged? And I I think it's probably more the latter, but, but it would be nice to think both. that we have some impact on in keeping people interested. So if you have a monthly release cycle, you have creators reacting regularly but the fact that they're reacting regularly might encourage people to play. And the fact that there's a regular release cycle means people are playing regularly, which might create more things for content creators to talk about. You know, not just the the content coming out, but then actually the experiences of, wow, everyone on our Discord is talking about this new card. Should we have a look at it? Or, you know, whatever it is, these sort of these conversational moments that might not become an episode but might inspire a conversation between us that then becomes an episode or so on and so forth yeah yeah. so i I think that has definitely gone and there's a twin thing going on as you say we're players as well as creators it's not like we're sitting leeching off what the players are doing we're players too so so much of what we create is based off there being something to talk about or something new so there was a couple of different things that happened our own groups may be separated, you know, in part because of the pandemic, in part because of growing up, in part for me because of moving house and starting a new job as well. So that meant a new routine, it meant a new rhythm. 
I know that you've taken on more responsibility in your work as well. So all of these things that were the foundations to us playing regularly and having things to talk about and sustaining the conversation between us fall away. Yeah. And you don't necessarily recognise that. I, I think I really didn't recognise it because I think of myself as a solo player. So not realising like, oh, okay, actually the fact that I've been playing in groups is what encourages me to play solo because I want to play a scenario again or I want to try something now that I've played it in a group. Without these losers holding you back. <laughs> if I could do it with three players, surely I could do it with one. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's probably a more Arkham-specific thing here as well, which is that, which is Scarlet Keys. Yeah. And Scarlet Keys coming out as the second experience of the new release model. I definitely don't think I'm alone in saying there are various qualities to Scarlet Keys that have polarised members of the community, or at least members of the community have have reacted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I think I'm one of them. So, like, you know, for instance, in that opening scenario, there are a fair few difficulty five tests, which is a good thing to have to check that your deck can handle them. It's also a pretty rough thing to have if you can't handle them, you've not built your deck. And we've talked already when we did our episode on Concealed about how Concealed is both a broadening of the way that players can engage with the game, but it also, particularly for the solo player, is an action tax, is a challenge that every time a concealed enemy comes out, they're asking you to do multiple things, uh, multiple tests of whatever it is you're good at doing, whether that's fighting, evading, or investigating. And I think that as an experience then, it's like, ah, okay, Scarlet Keys is the new thing to play. It's quite tough. It's pretty tough solo. And I'm being asked to do a lot when I play. It probably hit at a time when I was hoping for something not quite as taxing, just yeah. because of everything else changing in my life. And that's kind of a hard thing to be hit by. But I think that's a really interesting observation, Frank. No, no, no joke intended. <laughs> that I think you're right, because the, the, the one of the big criticisms that's levied at the Scarlet Keys is the amount of reading that's required. Oh, yeah, yeah. And sometimes you'll sit down to play, and then you won't get on to it. This happened to us when we went into the final scenario. We spent about an hour reading. Yeah, yeah. We did. We thought we were going to play the finale, but we had various stops to make first. Didn't yeah, we? And... we did, yeah. And, and, you know, I didn't mind it. I think it was a fun mm-hmm. session, and it was... The the story ended up being quite interesting, especially mm-hmm. on that, that, that playthrough, actually, because we managed to do a lot of secret stuff. But that ties into what you've just said because it's it's a it's a campaign which requires a motivated group or motivated player to get the most out of it. Yes, you need to be yeah. thinking about what's what what, what direction are we going to go, what decision do we want to make, yeah. and then you've How got to think about yeah. Yeah. then you've got to think about I need to engage with these mechanics, so I need to think carefully about oh, the challenges my deck will face are, I guess, particular. Mm-hmm. Need to be able to deal with concealed. Need to be able to pass high difficulty tests. I need mm-hmm. to cope with this load of minus sevens in the pack because <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I've been yeah. dawdling. So, yeah. so they're they're kind of big challenges, and also there's that that narrative hurdle to get over to get involved with it, in it as well. I, I, you know, I think we both enjoyed that campaign, mm, but yeah, I'd, I'd absolutely recognise the challenges in getting it onto the table, which yeah. really ties in well with what you've been saying there. And there's a meta point 
that links to that sort of the the larger narrative thing, which is that it's slightly a release model thing, it's slightly a Scarlet Keys thing, because it's this open world campaign, it's quite hard to find someone who's at the same point as you and has had the same experiences through. You know, you might say, oh, can I can I ask about Dead Heat? Say, I'm, I'm struggling with this scenario and I've come to it, it's the sixth scenario I've played in the campaign. And someone else will be like, oh, well, I played it second, it so easy. I didn't have the same... <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't have the same setup. It's like, oh, okay... But I didn't play a second. I came later. <laughs> you know, there's it's so rare that someone's done the same route as you, is at the same point. And I guess that just leads to a degree of disengagement. It's like the the places we might go online to feel connected, you don't feel connected. Mm. Or I, certainly I didn't. It's hard to be discussing the same thing at the same time. And that I guess that fragmentation then leads to a feeling of, well, are other people playing the same game as me or at the same point at me? Is that all of that, I think, added in my head to feeling like, what's the point? You rewind the clock, even to the pandemic when, when sets are coming out individually, myth, mythos packs and things, there'd be some dedicated solo players that I know that I could go about a week after a pack comes out and look online and see what their reactions are. So some people were saying, oh, that was really hard. Other people would say, oh, I breezed that one. I probably got lucky because I'm playing solo. But again, there's that fellow feeling that probably I took for granted as a, oh, you know, does it matter so much? And it's only in its absence that you go, oh, okay, actually, that's probably another reason to prompt me to get to the table is feeling like I'm part of a community that I'm not very vocal in, doesn't matter too much to my actual playing of the game but it's still missing. Yeah, yeah. Funnily enough as well, while we're talking about playing, one of the things that links to this is what you said about painting and perfection being the enemy of the done all good and yeah. all good. And I think I certainly got into a, this is something I alluded to in the Thinking of Feet episode, I got into a mindset of needing to do well in Arkham. Yeah. And it, it ties into when we were talking about like what are the indicators that show that you've done well? What's, how did you term it? reward mechanics incentivize play yes if you play pit of despair you don't clear the two underground caverns for the two veep and you don't get any flashbacks you get zero xp like you've still got through the scenario but have you won yeah and of course there's no winning or losing in any way but generally speaking in this game we feel like it's important to start accruing xp because xp is an indicator that you're doing okay and that your deck gets better and to a certain extent, you need XP so that future scenarios are easier or that you can keep up with the difficulty increasing of later scenarios. And that means then the game doesn't become about, for me anyway, did I get through the scenario, but did I get enough XP? And suddenly then there is a success or failure that's separate from what the game is saying. It's um, an implied success or failure. And I got very I got very stuck on that. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. Um, I don't really know what more there is to say about it beyond like it just became a real frustration. Play a scenario and miss a couple of XP and then feel frustrated by it. And it's, I guess my standards for playing had gone up, but my tolerance for the idea of that I would kind of um, drag myself through a campaign, accruing trauma, messing up scenarios really, really dropped. Mm -hmm. And maybe it ties into having limited time to play. You sit down to play and... Do you want to just like get ganked by the scenario and yeah. pack up? 
all of these things are connected, aren't they? It takes you a while to get stuff to the table. You've overcome an, a mental hurdle to be there, and then you play a scenario and you don't have a particularly positive experience with it, whatever your ways of assessing positivity are. And it's like, oh, what was the point of that? <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, all of these are different different elements that probably contribute to a falling out of love with the game. Yeah. The two last ones I want to mention. The first is that I had some pretty heavy stuff go on in my personal life this year. And this is where the, the content warning kicks in again. I've checked with Andrea that she's okay with me sharing this stuff. And she's been pretty upfront about it. So she had breast cancer this year and has had two surgeries and radiotherapy. Thankfully, we didn't have to have chemo, which was good. Um, so that was like five months this year of the shock of it, the terror of it, and then supporting her. And I feel like, obviously, I was not the one going through it, but I feel like my horizons really narrowed down to do my job, which is looking after vulnerable people, and and then look after my wife. And the idea that I would come home and, like, get Arkham out and... You know, it's just it's just changes the context within which you're going to play, and it could have been a relief, but it felt just like a, oh, that's too much to think about right now. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna not worry about that. So yeah, that was a pretty heavy one. I think it's probably necessary to put it out there. Not saying it to garner sympathy from listeners, but it's, I think it's worth acknowledging. Any uh, personal life stuff for you, Peter, that you want to throw in at this point? No, no, it's all good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it's. Just I, I yeah I think you've touched on changing responsibilities and and mm. work life balance I guess and yeah. just fitting everything in <laughs> as you get yeah. older and the world disintegrates it just it all seems to get harder and harder yeah yeah absolutely and you you you, you multiply the problem across your playing group as well don't you yeah it's been the long been the joke of D and D players like the 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 main challenge to, to completing a campaign is uh, just getting everyone in the same place at the same time. Yeah, the main character killer is <laughs> having a family changing. It's not anything that the dungeon master can create. The last thing I've put on my note is is friendship and the Peter problem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Curious you said to me this. last night on Messenger, like you, you're looking forward to being uh, rinsed on this cast about... Yeah. I really put it in more that if... If any of the things that are affecting me are also affecting you, that almost certainly fuels us then not talking about Arkham. Like, if if I'm feeling like I have less time for it, and you also are feeling like you have less time for it, it becomes squared. <laughs> it, it adds to it. You know, it's not been that I felt like I have less time for it, and you've said, don't worry, Frank, I have more time for Arkham. I'll carry this. <laughs> yeah. It's... It, our lives are similar enough that we both have felt like um, interest is ebbing. And if I'm finding it hard to stimulate myself about the game, you know, I'm, I'm probably not also coming to you and being like, hey, Peter, have you thought about this card? Or do you want to talk about this thing? You know, sort of encouraging those conversations. It's it's an extra burden, isn't it? To feel like you're trying to drag interest out of someone else who might not be feeling interested. Yeah. And the big change up for me, I think, is then trusting that when when the interest comes, that's fine. Like, it'll come back. It's it's okay for it to ebb and flow. Yes. Which I guess links all the way back to the sort of Bloodborne thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, 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 the note I wrote at the bottom of our, our show notes was don't force it. 
mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we've both had periods where we've been less uh, engaged with the game and they've always yeah. been followed by periods where we're back in and excited yeah and it's a funny one isn't it because one would hope that one's engagement is that you have a say in it but in a way like feast of hemlock vale spoiler season is upon us and we're both messaging a lot more about arkham yeah and then there'll be times where we're messaging about other games or other things and it's quieter and it's not that's that's inter- entirely an external force that has created more conversation for us one it's of the funny things is that i was very nervous about recording think on your feet recently mm. but when oh. i played it i loved it and then that's we talked non-stop Arkham for about a week based yeah. on Susan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the number of times you messaged me and said, yeah, I'm just, I'm still, there's still some other stuff I'd like to say about what that play session is, you know. And I was editing the episode, so I was like, oh, I've just got to this bit. And you're like, oh yeah, let me talk you through what I was thinking. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. And I'm sure, you know, that's the same thing about not having a regular group. When you have a regular group, the conversations might not necessarily be strategic or about, but it might be like, oh, that was hilarious when x happened yeah so like jaya and i are playing a fan-made campaign at the moment and we went through one scenario that for whatever reason we thought the narrative was a bit kind of off and Mm. it really made us laugh right essentially (laughs) essentially it felt like the investigators were murderers and i don't think that was the intention (laughs) like we turned up at a place and killed a load of people and we were like wow that that sort of thing happens a lot in Arkham where you turn up at a place and have to deal with enemies, but you often don't have the feeling of like, and I'm actually a murderer. But for whatever <laughs> reason, there was something off. And yeah, every so often we'll just message each other being like, oh, do you remember when we went to that place and killed all those people? You know, and it makes us laugh. So that's the thing, the sort of things that keep keep you going. Here are some of the different reasons why my interest has waxed and waned in the game. Coming into 2024, we've even been talking about meeting up in person to face check Feast of Hemlock Vale and how exciting that might be. And that in itself is a nice change up. Like you said, not forcing it. And also, for me, the probably the other thing about when I'm not as interested is following my passion and finding the things I want to do. So I think playing Susie is another great example of that. It's like, I could plan, think on your feet, pick a deck I think is strong, practice with it. It's like, why don't I just play this deck that looks crazy and see what happens? And so far, it's been really fun. Are you happy to bring things to a close there, Peter? Yeah, I think that's... you want to throw in? No, no, I think that's that's interesting. And and, I mean, the only other other thing I'll say is I'm really looking forward to Hemlock Vale, what the format's going to be of that campaign. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. yeah, the, the theme, as I understand it, I find really exciting and interesting. Uh, oh, theme. Yeah, me too. That's something I think I'm going to really enjoy. And I'm very curious about what the structure is going to be like, because there's been some hints dropped about how I think it's going to work. And yeah, yeah I'm just I'm just curious. And let's see how it goes down. Well, let's see how it goes down with my friend group. Yeah, we've not talked about night and day yet on the cast, have we? Yeah, yeah. That, that's such a lovely detail and could be really interesting. And night and day was also in Call of Cthulhu. It was one of the earliest expansions. And you had so you had various cards that like got stronger at night or got stronger at day, and various cards that when you played them could change whether it was night and day. It's a, a nice detail. Yeah, yeah. So, listener, 
hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you for bearing with us. And maybe you've had things that have encouraged you to be more engaged in the game or less engaged in the game. If so, we'd love to hear about them. We're drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. We're drawn to the flame on Facebook. And we're also on Patreon. You can become a patron of the cast and join us on our wonderful Discord. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I am United everywhere. That's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. You can find me on Discord and Blue Sky and Instagram as the.unitled. Uh, yeah, please say hello. How about you, Frank? I'm on Blue Sky as FB. And then I'm around the place as Zooey Glass and Zozo. Please say hello as well. Thanks for listening. Thank you. My name is Hans Hansen. On November 24th, 1927, for I know not even what the year may be now, I fell asleep and dreamed, since when I have been unable to awaken. My name is Etienne Lessard, and from the earliest childhood I have been a dreamer and a visionary. Wealthy beyond the necessity of a commercial life, and temperamentally unfitted for the formal studies, social recreations of my acquaintances, I have dwelt ever in realms apart from the visible world. Mm-hmm.